Good morning. Um, it's an honor to be up here today. Uh, in 1990, this is an article out of the Victoria Times. In 1990, Danny Simpson of Ottawa was given six years imprisonment for stealing $6,000 from a bank. Did a bank hold up. He used an old Colt 45 pistol. Maybe some of you have heard this story. Um, the police arrested him, uh, took the gun, and, and thought maybe it had some value looking at it. And they did a little research and found that it was made by the Ross Rifle Company in Quebec during World War I, and it was one of only 100 made at that company. Uh, it could have been worth up to $100,000. Uh, Danny could have walked into any gun shop in any town and legally sold that gun for maybe up to six times what he got from the bank. He had a skewed view of money, or at least an, a misunderstanding of what, his, what, what he held in his hand. Our topic this morning is money, and I am one of uh, five elders here. My name is Matt Miller. Uh, I'm going to be bringing you the first half of the message, about 15 minutes. Don Blair will bring the other half. We've been going through a stewardship series. Uh, Don Stuber covered possessions on January 7th. Uh, Doug, on the 14th, spoke about um, stewarding our time. And Kurt Busnett spoke last week about stewarding our relationships. So this morning, Don and I are going to be talking about stewarding money. I'm going to attempt to lay out a biblical foundation for stewarding money. Don's going to get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty of tithing and giving. Um, remember, this is uh, a topic that could potentially you could preach on for six months and dig deep into it. We're talking 15 minutes for each large topic. So this is not um, an, an exhaustive dissertation on the subject. Um, I'm going to be speaking primarily out of Matthew 6 today, uh, so I'm going to read that. These are the words of Jesus this morning. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, the, if, the, if then the light within you is darkness, how great that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Warren Wearsby said uh, that we're accustomed to dividing life into the spiritual and the physical. And he said Jesus made no such distinction and division. Um, and it's our, I think it's our default to separate the physical and the spiritual. Um, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We're back, let's look at the first section of our verses. This seems pretty straightforward, right? Mice chew on things, um, metal rust, silver tarnishes over time thieves, crime's always a threat. Uh, I think I have a full understanding of storing treasure on earth. Uh, I have a bunch of treasures. They're all in my shop. Um, my wife would probably not agree on the definition of treasure at this point if we were to ask her if the stuff in my shop is a treasure. Um, but but to, to me, a lot of it's kind of, I hold on to it. Uh, but look, let's, on a broader thing, since you guys aren't in my shop, uh, think about your 401ks or your savings accounts, or your garages, storage lockers, vacation funds, uh, cookie jars. This one might sting somebody a little bit. Gun cabinets, uh, china hutches, closets, basements, barns, you name it. We, we build it to put our treasure in. 
Uh, so I, I think I can speak for most of us here when I say uh, I do at least do a great job of the exact opposite of storing my treasure in heaven many times. Uh, if I think about the time I spend uh, acquiring, managing, uh, thinking about using the stuff that, that I acquire. Uh, but realistically, since that's an easy concept to me to, to, to look at, what, what's storing treasure in heaven look like? That is a little bit more um, of a thinker. So let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul wrote an instructional letter to Timothy. He was sending Timothy to a group of churches to kind of shepherd them. Uh, and Paul says to Timothy in uh, six seventeen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their help in, hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up, themse- they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you're anything like me, you may be thinking at this point, well, I'm not, I'm not really rich. I mean, I know some rich people. I'm not that rich. Uh, I want to take a look at this at a graph here. This was made in 2022 by the World Inequality Lab, and I realize it's in euros, uh, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll translate this out for you. If you made more than $13,000 last year, you are in the top 50% of the world's income earners. 50%. I'm pretty certain everybody in here over the age of 15 made more than $13,000 last year. If you made more than $57,000, you are in the top 20% of the world income earners. I think it's safe to say we're talking to rich people in this room. Paul's talking to us when he's, uh, or this letter to Timothy applies directly to us. So when Paul is telling, telling Timothy how to approach this topic with the church, he says, command, command them. Uh, well, that might be an important word, so I looked that up. What does that mean in the Greek? It means command. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't suggest. This isn't encourage. This isn't debate. This isn't discuss options. Um, this is direct and very firm. This is a commandment. And after that command, Paul's explaining exactly what it looks like to lay up treasures in heaven. To do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, that's not an exhaustive list, right? But my default sin nature isn't doing good. I'll be honest with you. It's not being generous, uh, and it's not being willing to share. My default is to figure out the lowest recommended tip at a restaurant or to judge somebody's actions before I give them money. What are they going to do with that money? Um, because uh, that's my sin nature, my sinful nature wants me to hoard all the stuff in my shop for my own projects and my own uses, not to use it for somebody else's good. Our reasoning is always straightforward, right? I want to be a good steward of God's money. I don't want to waste too much if I give this away. God gave this to me to use for his kingdom. If I give it to away, it's, you know, what's it going to be used for? Um, I really don't have time to help that person alongside the road change their tire. It's cold. I'm wearing my good pants. I don't have time. Um, But my relationship with the Lord means the Holy Spirit is guiding me in those different areas. Uh, And it's challenging me when I get stingy or selfish. Moving on to the next set of verses, the eye is the lamp of the body. At first glance, um, I think kind of what in the world does this have to do with money, right? Uh, Healthy and unhealthy eyes, light and darkness. Uh, When Jesus is talking about the eyes, he's referring to perspective, 
It's a perspective. In the book Money, Possessions, and Eternity, uh, Randy Alcorn says, the believer's view of reality should be radically different than that of the unbeliever. We should live differently because we see differently. We witness the same current events, but we interpret them differently. We eat the same food, we exchange the same currency, but we live according to different purposes. These purposes are based solely on two different perspectives, one that looks at life in the short run and one that looks at life in the long run. Paul talks about that perspective in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Excuse me. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is seen, but what on but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Again, Warren Wiersbe said we cannot separate the physical from the spiritual. Paul's undergoing physical suffering and imprisonment for spreading the gospel of Christ. Remember that chunk about the chunk of scripture about storing up treasures in heaven? Paul had an eternal perspective by using his healthy eyes. Paul was in this world, same as the Pharisees. He saw the same things. He had the same physical needs. He ate the same food, but he had a vastly different perspective on where his treasure was to be stored. He had healthy eyes filled with light. So I told you we're moving fast through this. The next chunk of scripture, um, it, to my mind, brings home the seriousness of having a proper view of money, about the no one can serve two masters. Warren Wiersbe said this, and I think this is in your notes, materialism will enslave the heart, the mind, and the will. We can become shackled to the material things of life. I have personally experienced that. If God grants us riches, we can use them for his glory. Oh, I'm sorry. If God grants us riches and we use them for his glory, then the riches are a blessing. But if we will to get rich and live with that outlook, we will pay a great price for those riches. When it comes to finances, there are only two options, the Bible tells us. Serve God or serve money. There's no middle ground. Your master is going to be either of the two. One offers perfect love and freedom from chains and a promise of heavenly rewards. The other, the other um, offers a pretty soft, cushy life here on this earth. Um, but it's going to be filled with unseen, unseen bondage and slavery. And at its end, we're going to see that wealth become rat food or walk away in some thief's pocket. Uh, so there's a heart issue and an obedience issue at stake when it comes to money. And I want to make this clear. I'm, I'm not, we're not trying to make a list here of how we behave with our money. What we're trying to do is point out that how we, what we do and how we treat our money is an indicator of the condition of our heart. I didn't say that how much money is an indicator because God clearly blesses people with a lot of money. If you live on $12,000 a year or if you live on $12 million a year, the game is the same. It's a heart issue, how you use the money God gives you. Uh, John Corson, in his application commentary, said this, <clears throat> Giving is not God's way of raising cash. It's God's way of raising kids. Every time I give... I'm giving away part of my stinginess and my selfishness. God doesn't need my money, but I need to give. The Lord wants my heart, not my money. 
And he knows that wherever my treasure is, there my heart will be. Did you catch that? Giving is not God's way of raising cash. It's God's way of raising kids. It's an obedience issue. So this isn't me standing up here asking you to put more cash in the box. That's not why we're doing this series. Um, This is actually one reason why we don't pass an offering plate. Because because giving is an obedience issue. It's between you and God. Um, It's not a public show of of how much money you have or how much you're putting in the the kitty there. Uh, God doesn't need your cash. He desires your obedience. And if you're a believer sitting here today, you and I have that same calling as to be obedient to God in our finances. Uh, I can't think of anything more disheartening or troubling to think that, um, that if we're not using our wealth with an eternal perspective in mind, that God is saying that he's not our master, that money's our master. It's, it's very troubling. And is it any wonder that, that the verses immediately following this, which we don't have time to go through, immediately jump into anxiety? What could be more anxiety-driven than not having your heart focused on God than having it focused on money? Um, So when we view money as God's and we invest it with eternity in mind and God's kingdom in mind and we trust God to provide, we will then be able to trust in him. So Don is going to come up now and share with us about tithing and giving. Thanks, Matt, for giving us that eternal perspective um, when we think about our money. My purpose for the next few minutes is to discuss tithes and offerings as a part of the stewardship of our money. So this is going to be, um, Matt said he wasn't making a list, I'm going to give you some lists. So this will be uh, uh, more of a teaching maybe, giving of information, than it will be an exposition of a uh, biblical passage. I do want to give credit, as Matt mentioned, to Randy Alcorn and his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, for some of what I'll say. Above all, Keep this one thing in mind. God owns everything. If you don't remember anything else, God owns everything. We see that clearly in Scripture. Heaven and earth and all that is in them are his. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world, and those who dwell therein. The land is his. Leviticus 25, 23. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. And the money is his. Haggai 2, 8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Now here's a question for you. Who knows how to catch a monkey? You've probably been wanting to know that for a long time, right? Well, some people who are interested in catching wild monkeys have figured that out. What you do is you take a jar with a narrow neck and you put it inside a cage so that the jar, the hole in the cage is not big enough to get the jar out. And you put a fig inside the jar. Then you put the jar in the cage, and the monkey will come along, and he'll reach in the cage, he'll reach into the jar, and he'll grab the fig. But then because he's holding the fig, and his hand is now clenched, he can't get it out of the small neck of that bottle. 
can't get it out unless he lets go of the fig, but he won't do that. And so he's trapped. And so I wonder if we sometimes are like that monkey and that we give up some of our freedom because we won't let go of our money or our possessions or our time or whatever else it is. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So in looking at tithing, let's look... We're going to look at a definition, and we'll look at the purpose of it, the, some of the negative aspects, some common reasons for not tithing, and the blessings. So what is it? By definition, the word literally means a tenth part or one-tenth. That's it. That's simply all it means. So if I say I'm making $5,000 a month and I tithe $100 a month, is that a correct statement? No, it's not. Because a tithe on $5,000 would be 500, not 100. So if I'm giving 100 out of 5,000, I am giving, and that's good, but I'm not tithing. Tithing's first mentioned in the Old Testament in Genesis and then in several other passages. In Leviticus, we learn that it is a command to the Israelites. Leviticus 27:30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So note that this says every tithe is the Lord's. It does not say every tithe should be given to the Lord. So this tithe was a matter of paying something back to its owner. So in the strictest sense, tithing is not giving. but it's instead a paying back to the owner. And this distinguishes it from giving, which we will talk about in a few minutes. And in the book of Malachi, God says that failing to tithe is a form of robbing him. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you in your tithes? and contributions. What's the purpose of tithing? Deuteronomy 14.23 And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there you shall eat the tithe of your grain of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So the primary purpose is to learn to fear or reverence the Lord at all times. Secondary purposes become obvious when we answer the question of where should a tithe be given. In the Old Testament, the tithe was to be given to the Levites who were in charge of caring for the temple. And so from this, we derive the commonly held and practiced belief today that our tithe should be given to the church. It is to be used for the care and maintenance of the church building, to support the ministries of the local church, and to support those who work full-time in it. 
Are there any negative aspects of timing, of tithing? Uh, yes, there may be, and uh, here are four. I'm, I'm going to simply list them. We don't really have time to comment on them. Number one, we can look at tithing as an unwanted requirement and thus be robbed of the joy of tithing. Secondly, tithing can become a source of pride. Thirdly, tithing can lead to complacency. So the one might say, well, I've tithed, so that's all I need to do, and I don't need to take on any other responsibilities in the church. And fourth, tithing can become an idol. We can attach too much importance to it. Are there any reasons for not tithing? I'd answer that by saying probably not any good ones. But here are four commonly given reasons that, I, that I'll list, and I will make a brief comment. Number one, some people would say, well, tithing is legalism. Perhaps that reason indicates an attitude problem, because any legitimate practice, such as Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, can be done with a legalistic attitude. So this reason might just be a convenient argument to cover our unwillingness to tithe. Secondly, I need to pay off my debts rather than tithe. So that begs the question of why am I in debt in the first place? Is not our first debt to God? Number three, I plan to tithe eventually, but I have to work up to it slowly. If we look at not tithing as a form of robbing God, is robbing him less any better than robbing him completely? And fourthly, I can't afford to tithe. If we're willing to trust and obey God, can we not obey him in giving the first 10% and then trusting him to provide for us to live on the other 90% of our income? Perhaps we cannot afford to tithe because we're not doing it. Are there any blessings of tithing? <clears throat> well, they could be myriad and difficult to enumerate specifically, but here are three possible ones. The concept of tithing is clear, consistent, and transferable. It can easily be taught to others, and especially to our children. Number two, it increases our sense of commitment to God's work. And number three, it can be a significant factor in spiritual growth. Uh, here's a quote from Alcorn's book. Quote, I just reread 10 letters written to me by church families whose spiritual lives were revolutionized as they discovered how to give. Though a number of them now give more than the tithe, seven of the 10 specifically mentioned that tithing was a spiritual breakthrough in their lives. Before we leave tithing, let me, let me address the Old Testament, New Testament thing. Because that's a commonly heard argument against tithing, is that we find it only in the Old Testament, and we're living in New Testament times, so therefore we don't have to tithe. Well, let me ask you to consider the following four things. Number one, Jesus grew up in a Jewish home, so we might assume that he was taught tithing. Secondly, the Talmud prohibited a strict keeper of the law 
from even sitting down to eat with anyone who did not tithe. And yet on several occasions, the Pharisees ate at the same table with Jesus. So again, we could conclude that Jesus was tithing. Number three, Jesus never once said or even suggesting, even suggested that tithing was invalid. And fourthly, Matthew 23, 23, which we read uh, previously, well, let me read that again. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and kill, dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So in these statements, Jesus rebuked the scribes and Pharisees for not doing the important things, but he also commended them for not neglecting tithing. Let's move on to offerings. By definition, an offering, or what sometimes is called a free will offering, as opposed to tithing, is not required, but it's given voluntarily and of one's own free will and is over and above the required tithe. It's resources that are given usually for the purpose of promoting the work of God's kingdom. We won't take time to look at them, but there are several Old Testament passages that speak of the people giving free will offerings. So what are some examples today, some practical things that might be considered offerings? And so these are some of my ideas uh, of how offerings practically differ from tithes based on how I interpret what the Bible says and what many churches, including Northfield, would practice. Number one, our pledged giving to specific missionaries both inside and outside the church. As many of you know, here at Northfield, we use a pledge system to help support our member missionaries who are sent out. And at the first of every year, we ask each of you to complete a pledge form. If you haven't done that yet, you should do it. On which you indicate how much you would like to give over the next year for the designated missionaries. Since that money is given directly to the missionary and not to the church, it really represents an offering given over and above our tithe to the church. Number two, giving to special projects or events in the church, such as donations to build a new building or to add on to an existing one or to put on a specific event. Since such projects and events are over and above the routine maintenance of the building and the ministries of the church, it might be considered an offering. Thirdly, for those who give to the church an amount more than 10%, that amount above the 10% would be considered an offering. And finally, giving to parachurch organizations that are specifically doing kingdom work would be considered an offering since it's not given to the church. So in summary, tithing is giving back to God 10% of what he already owns. And it was a command to the Jews in the Old Testament. Although in the New Testament, tithing is not specifically commanded, Jesus nowhere refuted that Old Testament command 
and specifically told the Pharisees that they should not neglect tithing. The primary purpose of tithing is to learn to reverence the Lord at all times. In tithing, we acknowledge in a very tangible way that he is Lord, that we are totally dependent upon him, and that we're willing to submit to him in the area of finances as well as in all the other areas of our lives. Offerings are resources that are over and above the tithe and are given willingly and usually for the purpose of promoting the work of God's kingdom. And a final reminder, God owns everything. So let's us be praying that we can be diligent to render to God the things that are his and be generous in promoting the furtherance of his kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we have from it. Pray, Lord, that you will just um, challenge each one of us in the ways that you know that we need it um, in all things, but specifically in this area of how we stewardship, how we steward our money. And may we, in all that we do, glorify you and give you thanks in all things. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.